to Casa de Cambio. On this week's episode of Casa de Cambio, I have, I always say a very special guest, but it really is a very, very special guest, David Powell Freeman. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Tash. I am absolutely thrilled to have you on. How's your week been? It's been good, actually. I've had a really good week this week. Um, obviously, locked up at home, but been taking the dog for a walk. He's, I got a greyhound recently. He's getting lots and lots of exercise. And um, had a couple of job interviews as well, which has been fantastic. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So very, very pleased about that. Oh, wonderful. Um, so one of the first thing I usually ask all of the guests that come on Custody Cumbio is what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Well, as you know, like you, I love books and I've been reading lots. This this time off has been fantastic. I've been mm. reading all sorts of subjects. So I've recently finished um, When Britain Burned Down the White House about the 1814 invasion of Washington by the English. Ooh. Who's that yep, by? That, by Peter Snow. Okay. So Is he related to John Snow? I don't think so, no. <laughs> it sounds like he knows some stuff if he wrote that book. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a really good book. I I didn't know how um, what Britain did in in the US um, after the um, War of Independence, um, but yeah, we went back in eighteen fourteen and invaded Washington and burnt the White House down, and uh, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I did not know that the white they did that either, and it's funny how um, much you learn about history. Um, as an adult, I mean, I know there's like, there's so much history and there's only so much they can teach you in school, but yeah, it's fascinating some of the stuff that went on. Um, like I know, you know, the the Crown on Netflix. My wife I've loves that. Yeah, I've been watching the Crown, and some of the things that happened in the Crown I didn't know about, or I kind of knew about, but didn't fully understand. So I'm one of those people who is like obsessively Wikipedia, you know, searching Wikipedia for the is it the Aberfeldy disaster, the Welsh mine collapse? Yeah, I had no idea yep. that happened because that happened, you know, before I was born, and I guess I live on the other side of the world, and there was no internet when I was a kid. Yep. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, like all of these things, and you just go, oh my god, um, it's yep. wild, it's absolutely wild. Good. The other thing I've been reading about is British East India Company. Yes. So it's about how the British um, basically had a corporation running India. Yes. Uh, and we were importing um, heroin into China for many years. Yeah, so, it's um, a pretty yeah. good idea to um, ha you use a company to be the front for your colonialism and your yeah. empire. <laughs> And it gives you a lot of you know, a lot of background up why the Chinese are, are you know how what Britain has done to them over hundreds of years and why they've got some issues with us. So that, that's been really yeah. good to read. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating all of this interference and the consequences it has. It's like people don't think through the impacts of a change that they're going to make, and they don't think about how this might play out and. <laughs> But on a much well, it, larger scale than a little IT project. Yeah, I mean, even you know, relatively recently, well, I've forgotten which British Prime Minister it was, but they went to over to China um, around Remembrance time. They're wearing poppies on their jackets, and the Chinese got really offended because they thought they were symbolising opium poppies and how they used to mm. sell opium to the Chinese. So you got to be really careful. Um, also, been reading a book on influenza by Dr. Jeremy Brown. So that was really good about the history of the uh, pandemic and. It was only written last year, so very topical. Um, been yeah. reading The Body by Bill Bryson, mm -hmm. which has been great. I love his work. And I've just finished a really great book called The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu. Ooh. And that I love been great. I want to read it just, just on the title alone. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really good book. It's about um, – in, I think it was 2012, Al-Qaeda took over, invaded Timbuktu. And Timbuktu used to be the cultural center of Africa. So yeah. there was documents going back to, you know, a thousand years. There was the center of learning for the whole of North of Africa. And there was all this great uh, libraries and documentation there. And basically, these librarians smuggled all the documents out before um, Al-Qaeda could burn them all. Really, really cool wow. book. Wow, that is badass. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. great. And um, 
I was telling my son about it because I, I, you know, because all he's heard of Africa is about how you know they. I said, I didn't know they had universities and libraries and stuff. I said, yeah, yeah, they had like a thousand years ago. They was the centre of learning. So yeah, really, really cool, really cool book. Um, yeah, every time I have a guest on, my book reading list just grows and grows and grows. Yeah, no, and I've also been reading um, some books on Agile. Mm-hmm. So that's been good. So to get getting up to date on um, on Agile methodology. Been doing, watching, um, I've just been reading uh, "Learning Agile" by Andrew Stellman. Yep. So that's been a, that's been a really good one. Um, been, what, what I've been watching, I've been watching lots of stuff, obviously, on Netflix. Netflix is beginning <laughs> hammer in our house. Yep. Peaky Blinders, um, up to date with Vikings. Obviously, Tiger Ooh. King. Oh, I might be behind on Vikings. I, I need to get on to that because I like that Tiger King. Yes, I mean, I like wow. Yeah, I mean, every episode it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Like, who are these people? Why are they like this? And you know, why doesn't that guy have any teeth? And he's never wearing a shirt. And <laughs> and his YouTube videos. Every time they show one, I'm like, what is this? It's just great. I, it, it was just, yeah, my kids have been watching it going, what the hell? Is this made up? I'm like, no, I don't think it is. You can't make it up. You couldn't make it up. Um, it's extremely, oh. it's incredibly compelling viewing. Yeah. And, and the kids obviously love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and they've got into community recently. So they've been binge watching that. So I've been binge watching that with them. Um, and also Killing Eve, the new season's just come out of that. So I'm loving Killing Eve. Yes, I need to get onto that. I did enjoy the first two seasons. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And Billions comes out soon, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of what I'm listening to, well, I've been loving your podcasts. Gold star for David. Thank you. Thank you. And I've got to say, I did have a favourite one, which is the one with Bree. That was awesome. <laughs> and why would that? Why was that one your favourite? Oh, because I just loved working with Bree when we worked together at Accenture, and it was just great to hear her voice again. And yeah, it was like having her in the room. It was great fun. Oh, wonderful. It was great to see her. <laughs> it was great yeah. to be in the same room as her. Remember being in the same room as other people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Other, other than my family and my greyhound, yes. <laughs> um, and so, David, what was the best – oh, did you finish talking about what you were listening to or were there other things? Yeah. No, I think, I think that's it. Okay. That was good. Very comprehensive reading list. I love it. Um so what is the best piece of career advice you ever received? I've had several. Can I can I do several? Is that allowed? You can do as many as you like. Thank you. As well, long probably as we the keep the best... conversation under an hour. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll try to give you – so the best piece of advice I ever received was that enthusiasm is more important than skills or experience. Yes. So, you, know, you can be really, really well-qualified um, – really experienced, but if you don't have the level of enthusiasm behind it, it just doesn't matter. And I remember yes, a really I, great example of this. Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I once heard, uh, got told, you know, it's 80% attitude, which yeah, is very similar. Absolutely. If you've got the right attitude, you can learn the skills. You can, uh, if you've got the attitude to learn and grow and, and you know, uh, work within a team and do all of those things, then it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not you have skills. Anyway, continue. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had a really great example of that. Um, when I worked in London, we had a client, JP Morgan, and they were looking for someone to help with uh, testing with new futures and options trading system called Life. Yeah. And we had two candidates. We had one consultant who was on paper, he was perfect. He'd previously been a trader. He had a PhD. He had loads of experience. He was perfect. The client's like, yeah, we want him. But he was a bit kind of, yeah, testing. I'm not really sure I want to do that. We had this other graduate who'd just come from Nigeria. He was doing his master's in finance via correspondence. He was really keen. And I said, okay, they didn't want to interview him. I said, okay, you can only interview the first guy if you interview the other guy second. Fair enough. So they interviewed him. And the second guy from Nigeria was just so keen. He was just, he goes, I get to do testing? What do you mean? I get to play with the system? I'm like, yeah, you do. And he was just so enthusiastic and passionate. And at the end of the interview, they rang me and said, can he actually stay? Like, we don't actually want him to leave the building. Can he start right now? Oh, my God, that's amazing. That is amazing. And, and it was brilliant. And so he started straight away, and they rang me after a couple of weeks saying, does he actually have a home? Because we've never seen him leave the office. 
He was like, these are investment bankers. And he was getting in way before them, leaving off them. And he was just loving it. He was just having the time of his life. And it was great. He did super early. Yeah, yeah. He he was really good. Another great piece of advice. Do you remember Anne Burns from Accenture? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. So Anne gave me some really great advice, which was it's much better to have a small team of really good people than a large team of average ones. She said, yeah. if you get a really small team of really good people and what they're doing, that's going to be far better than trying to manage a larger team of people who are kind of so-so. And um, that, that really, you know, stuck with me. And she also said, always hire people who you think you can do your job better than you can. Right. So hire people who think, you know, you think this person's actually going to be better than me at, at my job, which is why I hired you and Ali and Anita. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Hi, Ali and Anita. Hi, Anne. Hi. <laughs> um, another great piece of advice. I've got two more, sorry. Another great piece of advice was you can never be caught out for telling the truth. Mm. So no matter how hard it can be to say, always tell the truth because you'll never get caught out for it. Because sometimes yeah. in situations with clients, you know, you want to go, oh, you didn't get the job or we didn't get it because of this. Just be straight and honest with people. So much easier. Yes. Yes. So but also easier. I think if you made a little boo-boo and you try and cover it up and then you get found oh, yeah. out for trying it, like it's probably easier to just be like, uh, I fucked up. I'm so sorry. Uh, what can I do to fix it? And, you know, where the fallout of that initially rather than wearing the fallout of trying to hide something and definitely. the associated mistake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And the, the last piece of advice is a piece of CRM advice that I received oh, more than 20 years ago now. And I used to work with a really good consultant in the UK. And she she was asked by a client, what's what are the three things you need for successful CRM implementation? And she said, there's only three things you need for a successful CRM implementation. That's support from the CEO, support from the CEO, and support from the CEO. So if you don't have those three things, you're stuffed. Yeah, and and that's kind of, yeah, it it kind of resonated with me because I've worked on CRM projects where there hasn't been support from senior management, and it's like they've always been a train wreck. Yeah, well, I was going to say with change management, if you don't have, like it's not always CEO support, but if you don't have um, sponsorship, whether that's, you know, your executive sponsor or your business sponsors um, and people, your executives and sponsors aren't helping you lead the change, it's not going to be successful. I mean, and I'm not all about top-down, you know, command and control leadership. Like there are a lot of things that go into successful change, but, yeah, uh, and I think I may have been on some CRM implementations with you where there was a bit of a lack of uh, sponsorship and support. And it did make things very difficult, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We can talk um, about those in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So for the listeners, usually the real tea gets spilled after I stop recording um, because we only say positive things on Casa de Cambio. Uh, and also this podcast is not going to be called Casa de Cambio anymore. It's going to be called David Palfreyman's Career Advice Podcast because that was amazing career advice. So I hope you enjoyed Casa de Cambio. It's changing now. Um, no, just joking. But that was amazing. Um, so great segue into CRM um, because that is what we're here to talk about. So firstly, um, you talked about getting advice over 20 years ago. So uh, how did you get uh, to become a CRM consultant? Okay. Well, um, sadly enough, I always wanted to become a consultant. Um, my dad used to work for a big corporation and he used to tell me about you know the consultants, what they did. They always got paid lots of money, just told people what to do and didn't actually do any work themselves. And I thought, that sounds great. Um, You're right. I've never met, yeah. I didn't know this about you and I've never met a person who actually wanted – a, knew what a consultant was when they were a kid, and B, wanted to be one. That's very yeah. unique. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, but I graduated in 1991, which is quite a long time ago. Were you born then, Tash, in 91? No. I, I was very born. Thank you very much. But thank you for thinking that I might not have been. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, was, I graduated in 91, and the UK economy at the time was not in a good state. So I actually only applied for one job when I was at uni. Yeah, right. And that was a company called Schlumberger, who are an oil field services company. 
Um, and I put a lot of effort into my application and got that job. So I basically worked in oil rigs in the North Sea for a, for a bit. Um, As in not a consulting, not a consultant. Well, they, they, they basically did, they, they did oil field services. So they basically consulted to the uh, to people like Shell and Texaco and all, all the big oil field companies. And we were sent out there to stick probes down oil wells and tell them how much oil and gas was down there and exciting stuff like that. That's amazing. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So I did that for a bit and it was very lucrative. I paid all my debts off from uni in three months. Um, yeah, and also if you finish your uni degree and there's no jobs out there, just getting a job, any job is just such a win. Um, so oh, yeah. to get something, you know, that you like you say was lucrative and you paid off your loans, I mean, well done to you. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that was a um, good experience. From there, I moved into IT sales, which I've got to say, I hated with a passion. I hated sales. That was that was definitely not a career for me. Yeah, it's not for everybody. I don't, I'm not sure I would like it. Um, I've never done it, though. Yeah, not fun. So I did an MBA while I was um, working um, at Cass Business School, which is now part of University College London, uh, which cost me quite a lot, but was well worthwhile. And I ended up getting into um, a couple of consulting firms, and ended up uh, worked for a small consulting firm for a while, and then um, worked for an IT security consultancy, selling software testing tools to people like GCHQ and insurance companies and other interesting organisations. And I did actually quite well at selling those tools. That was actually quite good. And I ended up selling the company's flagship product, which was a CRM marketing automation tool, which at the time was the world's leading CRM uh, marketing automation tool. And this was uh -huh. in 1997. So from now on, I got to learn all about CRM, all about campaign management automation. I went all over Northern Europe selling this tool and working with companies and got some amazing experience. I got to work with Jill, who I mentioned before, who gave me the advice and, you know, really, really good fun. The other thing that came out of that was there was a nice Australian girl who I met at work called Alicia, who's now my wife. Oh, hi, Alicia. Yeah. So, yeah, so then I came back to uh, – she came back to Australia in 99. I came over in two weeks, had 10 job interviews in two weeks and three offers, and here I am. So I then did some consulting. Where I joined a company called Logica, uh, mm -hmm. became Logica CMG, and our first um, proper CRM consulting was with National Australia Bank in 99 on uh, vendor selection for a CRM system, and we ended up choosing Siebel. So that was a, yeah, way back in 99. So that was an interesting one. And then I've basically been working on CRM consulting uh, projects continuously almost ever since. So I've worked with some really great firms. Obviously, I work with Logica, with Accenture, where we work together. Oh, wasn't that um, great? I've worked, yeah. Good times. Look, Accenture for me was fantastic for a Met some great people, learned some great methodologies, worked with some great clients, got some great experience. I mean, when I finished um, at Accenture, um, about a year later, I got a call from um, from Alice Chu. Yes. And I, Hi, Alice. And, and she basically um, said, look, what are you doing at the moment? I said, not, you know, looking, looking for a project. She said, come in and see me and meet the head of strategy for NZ Institutional. And she's talking about the project. And then I met with, uh, I don't remember, Ant Strong, who was head of strategy. He, he asked me two questions. He said, where did you work before? When I said Accenture, he said, great. Can you deliver this project? I said, yes, I can. And that, yep. And that was it. I'd worked for Accenture. I said I could deliver it. He was fine. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then so, you hired so, a dream team. The dream team. The mm. dream team. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've, I've you know, worked with Accenture, and I've, since the, after Accenture, I worked with SMS Consulting on a few projects, at places like Coles. Um, I worked with Mercer Bell, who are part of Saatchi and Saatchi's. Really love working with them. They got some great projects at uh, people like Qantas and BizTech, who are now Media Monks, where Ali's now working. Yeah, he worked on some really great uh, Adobe campaign projects there as well. That's a very distinguished career that you've had. Um, so I guess, like, if I can draw on your expertise and maybe start at the very beginning, what does the CRM system do? A lot of people don't actually know. We get a lot of customers who think they need a CRM, in quotes, um, but they don't actually understand what it is, what it means for them or what it should be used for. 
And that's what why happens we need is you get a lot of this on the podcast because I find some of the most popular questions and topics are, you know, the real um, uh, uh, foundational stuff. Yeah, carry yeah, on. Absolutely. And, and people are embarrassed to ask because they think they should know. And they don't want to appear dumb, so they can listen to a podcast in their spare time and be like, "Oh, that's what it is." Ah, that, that Tash and David—they're not as dumb as they look. Well, David isn't anyway. Uh, <laughs> we both wear glasses. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, CRM vendors are particularly good at selling their solution as the answer to a CRM company CRM problems, and they give the impression that their software is CRM um, and that CRM is their software. And, and people don't really understand that's not what it's about. I mean, the Wikipedia definition is um, CRM is an approach to managing a company's interaction with current and potential customers. And it uses data analysis about the customer's history to improve the business relationships, customers focusing on the customer retention, and ultimately driving sales growth. It doesn't say anything about what software or anything like that. It's all about gaining, retaining, growing customers. Um, people don't realize that there's really sort of three core elements of CRM. There's marketing CRM, where you're marketing mm -hmm. to your existing and prospective customers. There's sales CRM, where you're managing the sales funnel and sales pipeline, the interactions. Then there's service CRM, where you're managing your, your, your existing customers to serve them as quickly and efficiently and as cheaply as possible. And wrapped around that, there are a number of organization, process, governance, and data things that need to be addressed as part of that to ensure any you know, CRM solution is going to be effective. And you really need a clear strategy on how it's going to be used to achieve those objectives. Um, and, and obviously, those objectives have got to be related back to the, what I was saying before around acquiring, retaining, growing, slash cross-selling those customers while trying to drive down costs. Because they're not focused on that, it's not really um, going to work. I mean, I've had customers who've said, you know, we want to implement CRM. Why are we going to buy Salesforce? Why are you buying Salesforce? Because it's a CRM. Well, what are you going to achieve out of it? Because they and want they to go to Dreamforce, like, David. That's why they want to buy Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably it. I mean, well, they also, really, it's really, a very, it's a very good product. Um, it is one of the marketing leaders. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of really um, disrupted and come like when we were working together uh, the last time, which was on a CRM project, and I believe that was in 2011. So it was a long time ago now. Uh, Salesforce had just kind of launched in Australia and it was like so different and so much more advanced than um, its competitors. And also like remember what back then like the cloud was still a very dirty word and people were very suspicious of the cloud. Um, so, you know, now Salesforce is the number one um, CRM product and it's yeah. really um, taken that number one spot. So one of my questions I wanted to ask you is how – has Salesforce disrupted the CRM market um, fr from your perspective as a CRM expert? Um, I've got a lot of good friends who work there. Um, they all speak very highly of it. The product itself is very strong. It's very good. Um, and it's, it covers, you know, it does pretty much everything you'd want from a, from a software platform. Um, they yeah. cover marketing. They cover sales. They cover service. Um, they don't integrate quite as well as you think they would. But they're, yes, you know, compared with other, compared with other products, they're. Um, when you compare it with with Siebel, who you know, when we were at um, working on um, Telstra, you know, Salesforce is where Siebel used to be, sort of fifteen years ago. Siebel used to be the yeah. CRM solution. If you're talking about CRM, everyone talked about Siebel. It was the marketing leading product. It was it was the be all and end all. Where Salesforce has changed the game is it's very easy to get Salesforce up and running quickly. It's yes. like you say, it's in the cloud, you can get a license, you can do a demo, you can do a trial, and you can get something, you can get some, you know, everyone's into agile, minimum viable product, you can get something up and running very quickly with mm -hmm. Salesforce. Um, with all of the apps what, and add-ons, it's very easily customizable um, for very a customizable. low price as well. Whereas Siebel or, you know, I know SAP is not a CRM system, but it's a massive, big system. Like all of the costs of, you know, customizing those systems is just, so expensive. So Salesforce, it's really, really easy to actually um, modify the product to fit your own processes rather than the other way around. Yeah. Which again, but the, adds the, the speed of which you can stand it up. It does. But some of the integrations do get quite hard and quite complex. So you can, you can have a lot of velocity, yes. you get a lot of things done, and then suddenly start to hit a brick wall. Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. But where it's just a standalone CRM and, it you know, it's just that product, 
it's exactly what you said, yeah. quick, easy. When you tra- start saying, oh, it's going to integrate with every other 500 systems that we have in our ginormous company, then, yes, it starts to get very complicated. Yeah. But, I mean, Salesforce have, you know, they've um, they kind of got a, a broad thing. I think someone like Adobe is very strong on the marketing. Adobe has got a really, really strong offering in in the marketing automation side, and they've got a really good story in terms of authenticated and unauthenticated users, so people doing searches on the internet to looking at websites to um, email campaigns. They've got a really good, really good solution for that, and I've done lots of work on that, and it's, it, they're really, really clever at that. That's where Adobe really fits in. Microsoft Dynamics, again, a great product, um, but again, it's, it's horses for courses. I mean, one of the things I've, I had a lot of clients go, what CRM should I buy, or what do you want to do? Yeah. Is the first yeah. question. And then, you know, what, what is your environment? Because if you've got a, a Microsoft house um, and, and all your guys are trained uh, and all your developers and all your programmers and everyone are all, are all Microsoft people, then they're probably going to look, have a serious look at Dynamics. Hmm. I did a, did a project with um, Qantas with Mercer Bell. And um, what I do a lot of is um, CRM capability studies and CRM strategy. So I've done quite a few of those. I've done uh, for Virgin Australia, um, for Coles, for T2T, great company to work with, by the way, um, with Qantas. And at Qantas, basically, we, we went through the whole of their CRM strategy. Um, we looked at, I've got a CRM capability model, which Anita and I worked on a lot together um, when we were at SMS. So we, we did a lot of work on that in terms of capability model that looks at all the different elements of CRM from data, so how you're gathering your data, how you're getting a single customer view, how you're cleansing your data, how you're doing analytics on that data, how you're segmenting that data, how you're doing your marketing on that data, how you're building your campaigns, how you're using that campaign to go through to your sales force, how you're measuring um, how Salesforce is performing, how you're servicing those customers, a whole loop around across people, process, organization, tools, and strategy. Um, so we did that at um, did that at, at Qantas to implement into that. So that was... Um, that was a really good project to work on, actually. Wonderful. So another good segue, um, I wanted to ask you, what companies, I mean, within Australia and globally, are, are really nailing their CRM? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few. Um, I think it really depends on the culture. So I find that companies do it really well. I've got a culture that aligns with their brand. Mm. So somebody like T2 is a great example. So T2 is a, a really great company to work with. Um, but everyone in her office, you know, no one drinks coffee at T2. I you was going to ask that, but I thought I might sound like a bit of an idiot. <laughs> no, 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 you wouldn't. No, I, I get it all the I time. need to work um, at T2 because I don't drink coffee. T2, everyone loves the brand. Same at Qantas. You know, everyone at Qantas loves their product. They're absolutely passionate about the product. And it's all about having the right people. Mm. there so um you know Qantas as I say they, they'd really got a really great strategy they'd got they understood what their strategy was they had some really great people they had industry leading tools and processes and they got their change management right so what are some of the risks that companies face if they don't get their CRM house in order uh, look people don't realize um that there's, actually, there's quite a few legal obligations you've got with CRM so for mm. banks, there's no your customer. So you, you need to know who your customer is. And a lot of companies have multiple different versions of, you know, you, you could be in a database multiple different times. Um, as you know, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer, although not a terribly good one. Um, so I've you know, actually ended up writing part of the New South Wales telemarketing legislation about 15 years ago. And I've had a few articles published on telemarketing law. Um, and I've, I've seen what happens when companies breach it. So I remember, um, I mean, there's a Spam Act companies have got to comply with. There's a Do Not Call Register. There's a whole host of things. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen um, when it all goes horribly wrong, it's not pretty. I remember at one company, which remained nameless, the, the prime minister rang the CEO to say, which idiot ran this marketing campaign? Yeah, you should, it's probably wise to keep that company nameless. So. Yeah, and, and then with a the GM literally walked out the door that afternoon. It was just, yeah. Yeah, 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 it is very serious. Okay, you know, there's some big risks. So then, do you think that CRM 
like change management is sometimes viewed as a nice to have and given that the risks and the stakes are so high like what do you make of that I think what often happens is the software vendors come in, they talk to the customers and they say, how much is this CRM system going to cost? And they basically say, well, it's the license fee because that's all the sales guys are interested in and put, you know, a little bit on for implementation. Mm. And they never, and the ones that I've seen, you know, not gone well is they've tried to skimp out on integration, on training and on change management. Because if you don't get the change management right, I've seen it where people have put in CRM systems and they've just not gone through and explained to people what it's going to be used for, how it's going to be developed, how it's going to change people's working lives and things. Like that. And it's been a lot of resistance. People haven't wanted to use it. I mean, and there's um, no adoption. And they're like, oh, why is nobody using it? Hmm, we're not really yeah. seeing the benefits. I don't know if this product was a good idea. Well, I don't, <laughs> if, I don't know if you remember. I mean, the, the classic one was. was um, we can. <laughs> everyone to start beeping out some of these company names. Too. <laughs> I don't think so. I, was, I think we can quite safely talk about transformation projects has been a massive failure. <laughs> I'm definitely beeping it out. <laughs> <laughs> we both might need to work at that company in the future, David. So, look, I, I worked at a uh, on a transformation at a um, a large, should we say. And, and the whole project was was flawed from start to finish. Um, and the company that was implementing it basically didn't want to waste time with gathering requirements, just said they'd implement their off-the-shelf solution, which didn't exist, let alone work. Um, the employees actually set up, um, they were implementing at this particular organization. And it got so bad, the employees set up a, a Facebook page saying, I hate and I had 6,000 members. <laughs> Um, you know, it was just horrific. The, 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 the unions got involved. The unions hated the software. The unions were saying it doesn't work. We, we, they're saying it's slow. It's reducing the amount of time they've got to use it. Customers this hated it. it was just- right. I mean, it was a retail environment. And when you're standing in front of a customer and you can't do your job because the IT system that you're using doesn't work, like that is just such a fail and it's a change management fail and whether it was due, you know, it's a requirements fail, it's an implement like that. It sounds like there was a lot of failure, many failures along the road to that implementation. But, yeah, like put yourself in the shoes of someone who's working in a retail store and they've got an angry customer and they're trying to process that, cut, like whatever that customer's request is and they can't because the system won't do it. And the customer gets frustrated. And, you know, like when you say, oh, the system's not working, it's like a very, like it makes people more annoyed because they just might think that you're stupid. And, you know, all these things are going through your head. And, like, that's like the number one thing that you need to nail if you have any sort of retail presence is you need your staff to be able to do their jobs with an angry customer in front of them and not have system failures and get flustered because they don't know how to use the system. Like that is just retail 101. We had an hysterical one. After I'd finished working on that particular project, I was working up in Bendigo, um, Bendigo Bank, with um, a guy who'd also worked on the same project. And we went into, we both wanted to get a um, uh, a new, um, we went into one of the stores and we, try, we were both trying to buy them. And the guy was saying, sorry, the I can't get the system to work. And Pete and I went, oh yeah, no, it's isn't it yet? Just, just, just show us that, yeah, we know exactly what the problem you're having. And we showed him how to use as customers the system that he was having problems because we, we've been trying to implement this wretched thing. And the, the guy behind the counter is going, no one's ever showed me that before. We're like, yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I um, one day, I think it was maybe a year or two after that particular implementation, I was picking up a pair of glasses at OPSM. And I always look at the systems that people use when, you know, I'm sitting there in in a store and they were using a DOS-based system that looked pretty old and clunky. And I said, oh, look, that's an old, because, you know, you're in this brand new store and then you see them using this like crusty old DOS-based system with a 70s DOS interface. And I said, oh, that's kind of an old system you've got there. And the chick goes to me, she goes, I used to work at and they implemented this system called and it was so hard to use. It was a nightmare. She goes, I prefer this. It's better. And, and I just laughed because I was like, oh, my God, all I've been hearing about since I moved to Melbourne was about the <laughs> implementation. <laughs> and 
even this poor woman who's working at OPSM has trauma from it because she couldn't use it. Um, again, we went a little bit off topic and I'm going to, you know, just bring bring us back in. And I think you've actually, you know, you've nailed it on the head in terms of like there is a huge risk. Uh, and you've also talked about not just um, having sound CRM, but also proper change project and implementation management. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, we've the, talked the other, about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that that often happens is 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 the fundamentals need to be there. So things like you know the data quality is always always an issue. I found. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Same. Data, data quality. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I recently consulted to a firm that provides car leasing. Yep. And they didn't even have set values in their system for car maker models. So call center agents just use free text. I didn't realize there were so many different ways you could spell Subaru. So, you know, we're trying to do data analysis on how many people have bought a Subaru. And it's like we're having to put in like 30 different values for different spellings of Subaru. And model of car, like they hadn't, you know, they, they didn't have the models in there. So people are just putting all sorts of random crap in there. It'd be so easy to get that right. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah. Uh, really hard to sort out. So an another... Another one I've got to tell I you about. I can't tell a story about an unnamed company. They were trying to do <laughs> mail-outs to customers to let them know about price increases, and they couldn't actually do it properly because they didn't have correct data in their CRM system, and one customer got sent something like 17 letters in a month about different stuff to do with products that they had or, you know, contracts that they had with that company, nearly said the company name, oops. Uh, and, you know, this cost, and I think, and also like the address wasn't updated. So it actually went to like a new tenant where uh, somebody had moved on and this new tenant was like, stop sending me all these letters. Yeah. <laughs> all oh. letters as well. Um, and yeah, they just, you know, they were trying to uh, communicate and tell their customers, hey, we're putting up uh, the prices of, you know, these particular products and they weren't able to do it which is a very basic thing that you should be able to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say um, I, I did another implementation at another company um, where we had um, – we were putting in a campaign management system and the main user was um, fairly young and inexperienced. And we're trying to explain to them what a greater or equals than sign meant. And she thought this was computer programming and she could not get her head around it. Oh, uh, well, that's not anything to do with CRM. That's just a story about someone who didn't know something, David. Yeah, yeah. But then, <laughs> then they asked, why, why are we using a database? Can't we just use Excel? And we're like, yeah, okay. I think well, we're going to walk away from question. this. That's a valid question. Not when you're Sometimes a telco. Excel is <laughs> Sometimes Excel is better. <laughs> Not for a telco. This was a telco. But like, if people weren't using Excel and you know needed to store things in a database, we wouldn't have jobs. So That's you've true. got to be really grateful for these scenarios because if there wasn't so much dysfunction out there in the world, we wouldn't be employed. So you know, I, I think that um, it's a gift and also a curse. Um, so David, what do you think the future of CRM looks like? Look, I think um, there's going to be a merger between, at the moment, as I said, the three elements of CRM, the, the marketing, sales, and service are all fairly disjointed. I think there's going to be a lot more merger of those, more seamless merger of them. And I think, you know, as I mentioned about Adobe, they've got a really good story with, um, especially on the marketing side, from what are call unauthenticated to authenticated users. So people who are browsing on the web, Looking for um, looking for a product, and then having a CRM experience that takes them from that building up their profile right through to servicing them as an ongoing customer, and that full customer journey. Um, I think CRM is going to head more and more in that direction. I think the other thing that's going to happen is going to be more and more issues about ownership of personal data yes. and how that personal data is used. I think that there's going to be um, some interesting developments out over the next couple of years because the, yeah, the, right, well, I, the right to sell third-party data and third-party information um, and how that's used 
Uh, the, the other book I read, uh, which I've got to mention, I read a couple of books about Cambridge Analytica. I was about to say Cambridge Analytica as the example of why um, data collection and how that can be used has become quite problematic. So, and I've heard there's one what there's one book in particular that I, a few people have mentioned that is apparently like just really explains in detail, and it's probably one of the ones you read. Uh, yeah, I've, I've read. It? I've read two books. I've read um, one by I think by. The, the two main people are in Have you seen the Netflix documentary on uh, Cambridge Analytica? I have been meaning to, but I just, it, I know it's going to make me really depressed and angry, so I haven't managed to get around to it, uh, but I know that I need to. Yeah, Sorry. there's two main characters in it who are, who are, list, who are mentioned, and they've both written books, and they both tell the, their version of events from different perspectives. And I think right. there's probably a third version of event, which is the actual truth. <laughs> But um, it's it's really really interesting. It's absolutely fascinating what they do with the data and how scary it is. And I think that's that's going to be a, have a big impact on CRM. And I think customers need to, are going to want the customers they're dealing with to trust them with their data. So we've got some really good, good examples of CRM recently. So there's um, two clothes shops I deal with. One is a really small um, small shop in Camberwell called Cavalier Menswear. And they have really great, really great clothes at good prices, and this isn't sponsored, by the way. Um, but you know, I, I really like the guys in there, and they've had some great social this media. Episode photos. of David's career advice is brought to you by Cavalier Menswear and Campbell. <laughs> so yeah, they, they've had some great social media posts, um, which 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 I've loved. It's like, well, if if you've got, I know you know, one's buying clothes at the moment, but if you do have an online date or a, or a job interview. You know, we're, we'll open for you and we'll open especially for you and do a one-on-one -on -one and personal shopping and, you know, there'll be no one else in the store and you can buy your stuff. And it was just really nicely done, it kind of acknowledging the situation, acknowledging no one's buying clothes, but in a highly unlikely event you are, we're here to help. But also, I think that really plays on, um, a nut, like, the social distancing rules when you do go to the shop. So I go to the South Melbourne market uh, every weekend to get my fresh fruit and veg and because there's these tiny little stalls, like there's one um, stall in particular, it's a health food shop and also my veggie shop. They can The health food shop can only have four customers at a time in their store because it's quite small. Um, and so you have to queue out the front and then, you know, one person comes out and you go in and it is, it feels like VIP shopping because on a regular day, it's full of market people and you're just crammed in and there's people pushing each other out the way and, yeah, like, so I think actually um, acknowledging social distancing and basically flipping it and saying you'll get a VIP shopping experience when really that's all that people are allowed to offer um, is a really clever way of marketing. But the, the other side of that is there's another shop that I, 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 I shop at occasionally and they're a lot more, they won't, I won't name them for reasons why you'll see in a minute, but they're much more upmarket, much more expensive and they have been emailing me literally every day for the last three weeks telling me they've got 30% off $1,500 sports jackets. You know, like, 20% off high-end suits. I mean, like, do you, know, are you, do you know what's going on out there? I mean, are you just spamming me every day? I mean, I just don't get it. it it's like it's just tone-deaf marketing. And yeah, I'm getting a lot of those emails around um, stores that I shop up shop at that mainly are business, I guess, or going out attire. And it's like further discount, further discount. It's like everyone's staying at home. People are either losing their jobs or they're very afraid that they're going to lose their jobs. Uh, and everybody's eating and putting on weight, so we don't know <laughs> what size we're yeah. going to be <laughs> when we come yeah. out of this. So and we also don't know what even season it's going to be when we go back into offices because we're all remote working and, you know, like we're doing, like we're both wearing quite relaxed attire. Like what the things I have been buying is activewear, um, you know, pyjamas, loungewear and, and T-shirts. <laughs> like not, yeah, so they, I think you're right. Like by acknowledging, okay, this is the situation, but, you know, we're still here if you need. Uh, whereas, or just going further discounts and just spamming people, like you're going to get unsubscribed and you know that if your marketing campaigns result in a large amount of unsubscribes or unfollows, you're running a bad campaign. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's going to be building that trust with the customer. And some of the campaigns I get, you know, are, are really well targeted and, and really good. And I thought, actually, look, actually open and click through the emails. I mean, one of the things we did at, at was um, 
they, they were worried about the amount of emails that people were receiving. And so what I did with them, we built a model that says, okay, well, let's not look at how many emails we're sending people. Let's look at the engagement score of those emails. So if people, if you're getting an email from somebody, if you're getting three emails from someone in a month and you're, you haven't opened any of them, then you're not engaged. Whereas I get emails from and um, if I'm opening and clicking through on every one and browsing the site after I've clicked through, then I'm actually enjoying reading them. I'm, I'm engaged. So mm. I'm actually open to receiving more. So that's what you should be looking at is the engagement score rather than the number of emails. I'm hoping that this um, that this particular clothes shop is noticing that I'm opening the emails and occasionally clicking through, and that's why they're sending oh, they're definitely emails. not noticing. They're definitely not noticing. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, some of them like Amazon, I mean, I, I get some good emails from them because I, I, like you, I buy lots of books and Booktopia, buy lots through them, um, probably more than I should do, according to my wife. Sorry, Lissy. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, you get some really good offers. You know, you, you've lo- you like this book. Other people who like that book bought this one. You know, it's like, oh, great. I'll, I'll get that one as well. Exactly. And that's how I got like some of these Cambridge Analytica ones. You know, it's like they recommended the the other people who'd worked at Cambridge Analytica who'd written books. And it's like, fantastic. Yeah, I'll get those as well. Excellent. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up is um, – just about your family and your work-life balance. So I know that you we've talked about Alicia a few times during the podcast and she also has a very high-powered job. So one thing um, I ask all the men who come on to Customer Company podcast is how do you manage your childcare responsibilities and balance that between both of your respective careers? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky on a number of levels. Um, before um, when I was working... Um, I um, we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to afford nannies, so that was really good when the kids were younger. So that really mm-hmm. helped having some really great nannies who um, have become friends of the family. So we've you know um, had some great nannies over the years who, who've helped us out because I've I spent a lot of time travelling as well. I've in my career when, when we first got married, I spent a lot of time up in Sydney. Um, a couple of years ago, I was working for Qantas. I was up in Sydney for almost almost a year. Um, so it wasn't really fair on Lissy to uh, to be at home to you know, working full time and having the kids. So we, we had uh, nannies who, who we who helped out and did the did the um, did the cooking, did the ironing, we've got a cleaner, we've got a gardener. So we're, we're fortunate to be able to have lots lots of help around the house mm-hmm. that, that takes the load off. Um, at the moment um Alicia's the breadwinner. So she's she's working, so um, I'm obviously doing more of my share of cooking than I wouldn't usually, much to the children's disappointment because I'm a terrible cook. So the kids have actually stepped up and they're doing more cooking. So Charles is probably the best cook out of all of us, my 16-year-old son. Have so you been he's looking been at like, the cooking tutorials that I've been producing on social media, David? Because I've been sharing some pretty good recipes. Oh, yes. I've looked at them all, Tash. <laughs> Sorry, we talked about being honest. I'll be honest, Tash, I haven't looked at any of them. I've been doing in ISO is sharing, making cooking tutorials and sharing pescatarian recipes and stuff that's really quick and easy to do. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, obviously not LinkedIn. It's not a LinkedIn thing. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure I follow you on Instagram. I'll, I will check. But yeah, my my, uh, my, son, my son's been doing some cooking, which has been great. He's been cooking brownies. He's been um, he made a curry, he made a mango curry the other night, which has been great. Um, my daughter's cooked the meal tonight, so that's been great. Curry was when I was his age. Oh my goodness, this is so fancy. Yeah, and yeah, and we got a greyhound as well, which um, we got him in January, which has been great. I think that's probably the best thing we've got for lockdown. Um, we got him on my wife's birthday. We adopt. We um, he's an ex racing dog, so. Um, and he's been a great addition to the family. So if you want a pet that sleeps 20 hours a day and doesn't bark, Greyhounds for you and tons of personality. He is hysterical. I was, I was on the phone the other day um, and he just walked into the room I was in, did a massive fart and walked out again. <laughs> Hang on, who did this? The Greyhound. <laughs> Greyhound did, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so going back to the comment about, you know, um, outsourcing and getting help when you've got two professional people, um, is the purpose of that so that you can spend your time at home doing family things and not doing gardening and housework and, and using that precious time? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, because I'm I'm not a great. I mean, I'll I'll do handiwork around a house. So, like, Lucy's asked me to build various things. I've built a spalliard fence and things like that. Happy to do that. But gardening, I'm not interested in. And the gardener does a much better job than I do. Um, and we got a cleaner who we've had for years who's, who's comes around and cleans the house and does a much better job than I could do. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it must be really nice to be in a position where you can um, have that and do that. Um, rather than, you know, trying to rush home for school pickup and, and manage that with a senior role. Um, it, it was, especially when the kids were younger, because, you know, Nanny would pick the kids up from school, um, make sure they do the homework, cook them dinner, so, you know, we, we could come home and uh, just dinner and everything would be ready. So, it was, yeah, it was really good. Do you have any parting words of wisdom before we wrap up? Oh, gosh. Um, I thought I'd just give you like an hour of wisdom. Yeah, look, I think for, for, for CRM, um, a key thing to do is not rush in, is make sure you understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Too often I see companies have really rushed in with a CRM solution or they bought a piece of software and they've not worked out what their strategy is and what it is they're trying to achieve. Or what is the customer, what is the problem that they're trying to solve? Yeah, and, and what's going to change once they've bought the CRM? Is it going to help them get more customers? Is it going to help them cross-sell? Is it going to help them retain their customers? Is it going to help them reduce their costs? Because if it's not doing any of those things, then all you're doing is giving commission to a sales guy. Yeah, yeah. And as a change manager, I mean, I've seen, had to, a lot of that has been my problem when those things have not been thought through. Because you go to write a comms, you're like, okay, why are we doing this? And they're like, uh. Or, you know, people start asking questions about, oh, well, will, will this do any of those things that you quite rightly pointed out? And you're like, um. I've got to get back to you. Like, it's not good. It's not fun change managing something that hasn't been properly thought through and properly, um, you know, the due diligence hasn't been done. That's no, really good advice. So, I mean, that's that's why when I, whenever I go into a client about CRM, I always recommend we do this capability assessment I talked about. Hmm. So we go in and just do a look at where they are across all those major elements and where the gaps are across people, process, technology, organization, governance. And quite often you find that, you know, they, they, they think there's a, like we did one at and we, we did a whole analysis, um, customer journey analysis. Because when you go into their stores, it's like a really great experience. Um, yes. It's a fantastic experience. But there's, some of their online experiences were really atrocious. So we did some work to fix some of their really bad experiences online and some of their other things. So, yeah, I mean, they were really passionate about customer experience, but they didn't realize where their gaps were. So that was a really good thing to do, that, do that gap analysis up front before rushing in and trying to fix a problem, basically, before you know what it is. Excellent. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and all of that advice. Um, it is very valuable and very appreciated. I have loved talking to you as always, Tash. Thank you so much. 